0: Welcome to episode 83 of Dial the Gate. My name is David Reed. Thank you so much for joining us. We just wrapped up with Stargate film composer David Arnold, and we are moving along to Stargate prosthetics artist Todd Masters of Masters Effects. We have a lot to go over because, I mean, so much of what uh, uh, Stargate is is about bringing the aliens to life. And not every alien can be done with a visual effect. And, you know, there are sci-fi stories where our characters age and all kinds of things. There's, there's some interesting avenues to discuss. But before we get into that, I would just like to invite you. If you are a fan of Stargate and you want to see more content like this on YouTube, it would mean a great deal if you click the like button. I know it's one of those things that all the YouTubers say, but it really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely help the show grow its audience. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. Giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops, and you'll get my notifications of any last minute guest changes. And This is key if you plan on watching live, because these talents, particularly in Canada, are working again. And so, you know, last-minute changes happen all the time. And clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next several days on the GateWorld.net YouTube channel. So this is a live show. Todd is with us live as the live shows go under normal circumstances. And this is normal circumstance. I will have my run of questions for him. And as that is going on, the moderators uh, in YouTube.com slash DialTheGates uh, comments thread... And uh, live chat, we'll be taking your questions for Todd as we go along. Todd Masters, prosthetic makeup artist and head of Masters Effects, founder. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks. Uh, it's nice to see you. It's nice to see you. How are things going in Vancouver? You say they. You are. You are busy.
1: Yeah, um, I'm in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, we are we have a studio here in Burnaby, and uh, we have another studio in Toronto, actually. And yeah, we've we've been extremely busy, pretty much for the last year solid. Um, we wow. we were in lockdown, I think, with the rest of the world for a while. Uh, came back in June and uh, jumped right into a big zombie series um, for sci-fi and uh DC's Legends of tomorrow, which actually premieres tonight all right so, yeah and uh, a good doctor and a bunch of features and uh, yeah it's it's it hasn't been boring lately Wow
0: Todd how did you fall into this? I mean I didn't realize it until you sent me some pictures but it's like you go all the way back to the 90s I am privileged to have one of your Borg. From Star Trek: First Contact, <laughs> looming over my bed at night, uh, and, and the the makeup for that, the 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 fabrication for these creatures that you guys create. How did you get? Hey, look at that right there! P- pull it up once again. I didn't get the yeah, full there you go. The, uh, See, this
1: is the uh, Island Visual Effects crew shirt for Star wow. Trek. Wow, okay.
0: and so. you know what? That's
1: holding up much better than my Borg is. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, <laughs> that shirt looks good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually surprised it, uh I just just found it. My gosh! Like, oh, hey, there you go. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: How did you um, fall in love with this stuff?
1: <laughs> totally. Um, I actually go back to uh, the '80s. Okay. Uh, I started in um, uh, like, well, I started in Hollywood around '85, and you know, like doing Big Trouble in Little China and Poltergeist ah. 2 and uh, you know, Night of the Creeps. Um, you know like every monster maker kid, we kind of just go to, well, I mean, like you shouldn't say everyone, but in those days, if you wanted to have a career in this weird niche of business, you really had to be in Southern California. And so I, you know, I was 18 and I had uh, not received um, any art art school uh, welcomes. There was like one art school that was welcoming me if I paid enough money. Um, And then there was another one in Seattle that I went to for like a day um, but I wasn't really, you know, cut out for going to art college. I don't think I, I had already started actually, um, in film opticals and, and okay. animation when I was, when I was 12. So I already wow. had like, yeah, I was really young when I started. And, uh, so I had already had like a couple of films under my belt. This is, you know, living in, with my parents in Seattle. I'd already actually worked on empire strikes back at that time. Uh, <laughs> my God. A, yeah. There was a small film lab called alpha Ciné in Seattle, that I started interning with and this this film came in that was horizontal because uh, it was VistaVision and it was like a blue screen um uh, snow speeder and I look at my boss I'm like what is this movie And he goes oh that's Star Wars 2 and I'm like what <laughs> and I realized that the the lab had actually ended up processing a lot of the industrial light and magic film and so we wow. were doing some cleanup work on some of these elements only so, the
0: best sequence in all of motion picture cinema, in my humble opinion. I would agree with that. I would agree oh, with really? That. Well, there you go.
1: Yeah, f- I mean, that, um, Empire is just—it's it, just unbelievable that movie. Yes. Um, but when I turned 18 and didn't get accepted to any of these art schools, um, you know, I kind of took this weird little uh, these abilities that I already done. I, you know, I worked at a, in film effects and optical effects, and I started making my own monsters in my folks' basement. And I had made some contacts with people in L.A. And they were all like, "Well, if you were here, I'd hire you." So I said, "Okay, well, I'm just going to move there," and uh, <laughs> just just went there. And you know, like the day after I arrived, I started working on Big Trouble in Little China, and wow. um, did, did a bunch of stuff for Boss Films, and then, like I mentioned, The Creeps. And then in 1987, I started my own company, uh, which eventually became Masters Effects, and we're going to be 35 years old next year. Wow! So congratulations. Yeah, thanks. It feels like it's been one long day. It's been a really <laughs> crazy 35 years.
0: Depending on how you look at it, I'm sure it is. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's been a little bit, you know very very busy. It's a strange business because you're you're asked to do quite a bit, uh, particularly in the practical effects side. Uh, always under schedules and always under budget. So absolutely to survive this long it even blows me away.
0: What movies and television made you fall in love with this?
1: Um, into the business. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I was. Big, I was a big Ray Harryhausen fan. I love that stuff. Uh, Star Wars, of course, came out when I was young, and just blown away by that movie. Um, so many artists, you know, really impressed me of those eras, that you know, because they they didn't just do one thing. They, you know, like they did painting, they did sculpting, they did animating, they did filmmaking. Uh, and so I was really impressed by people that could pull that off, and I kind of thought that's what Hollywood was all about. By the time I arrived, um, you know, I arrived and started working immediately with Boss Films Company, which was uh, Richard Edlund's company. And, you know, things were very departmentalized. And I still managed to kind of get my fingers on a lot of different aspects of things, because that's kind of what I thought what, what it was about, uh, especially as I kind of grew into the industry, you know, working uh-huh. on the movies. Um, so I really, you know, looked at those folks for for inspiration on how to kind of develop into this next generation of. Uh, practical effects, and makeup effects, and visual effects, and all that stuff. So, I mean, we still keep people in mind, like uh, Jim Danforth or Ray Harryhausen or Rick Baker. You know, these people that
0: really did icons. more than just
1: yeah, icons. And and they did it because they were so diverse in their skills and talents, and they could do all sorts of arts. You know, from making beautiful paintings to uh, really amazing film moments. And uh, so that, that's that was really what got me excited about filmmaking it wasn't really like i wanted to make the best rubber nose or i wanted to, you know it wasn't really like that i I, i've always enjoyed making things but i was really about the filmmaking and trying to come up with stuff that people hadn't seen before
0: of course you know you want to you want to create something new and different but sooner or later todd they are going to need a rubber nose
1: oh yeah well i'm not i'm not discounting rubber noses i mean we still love doing rubber noses but i just i just wanted our studios to be a place that you could, you know, not just be limited by, you, right. you got to do it with rubbing a couple of pixels together or, you exactly. know, you got to have, you, you know, because a, a lot of studios I've noticed don't really diversify, which I always think is kind of weird, especially in these days of visual effects and visual effects and practical effects mixing so much. Uh, you really, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to know a lot of different tricks so you can do that stuff. You, you can design effects with a lot of you know, points of knowledge. So, do, at master's effects
0: it's not just prosthetics you also do digital do you also do digital composite work
1: yeah yeah we've all done right. we've done quite a bit of um quite a bit of practice into mixing uh, practical and digital effects together um i don't know too many houses that do it like the way we've done it um where we really try to kind of like marry the two together i tried to do this in optical effects when i was a kid at that you know Applescini place working on an optical printer and all that and it just, you know, the desire was there and, you know, we could do split screens and stuff like that. But, you know, until, uh, you know, a computer came along that really was designed for visual effects where we can actually take, you know, millions of colors and composite it. Um, right. that, that's where really this stuff came to life and we've been exploring it ever since. And it's, it's actually been a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm amazed that there's not other studios that have really uh, kind of taken this on. To me, it would be like having a, a photography studio that doesn't have a retouch part of their division, you know, of their business, you know, you kind of need to have a little bit of both to, to make really cool and seamless effects these days.
0: Yeah. Unless you're going to spend a great deal of time on the set, getting it exactly fastidiously, right. You know, and if you're outside, good luck. um, Then, I mean, you're going to need a a light room or a, some, some kind of application at the end of the day, just to sweeten stuff up. Yeah.
1: Compositing or, you know, there's, there's so many amazing tools now that it, it, and it's all, I mean, we could make movies on our laptops, you know, exactly. And reasonably good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, software these days, pretty, pretty easy compared to what we used to have to deal with. And um, I mean, I shouldn't say it's easy, but it's, it's a hell of a lot better than Mm -hmm. what it was, you know, when we were making stuff in our Amigas and all that stuff in the nineties. So Um, no, it's, it's fun to be able to use other aspects, whether it's visual effects or whether it's, you know, prosthetics or other aspects of practical effects. I really like mixing it up. Um, and I think the audience is like it too, because they don't get pulled out and go, Oh, what an obvious effect. Mm -hmm. That's like the worst part of this is you don't want to design things that are so obvious to such an educated audience.
0: Well, you look at something like, um, Terminator, the, the original Terminator, you know, where you had went, when the the T-101 rise, the, rises from the fire. You know, I mean, that's completely uh, a, a large. I, it's not completely a stop motion creature, you know. Certain, it is a stop
1: motion creature for for that shot. For that um, shot. You know, they have like yeah, some close ups time, on him. But yeah, there's a puppet that they, get, they walk around with. But all that stuff is stop motion with rear right. projection for the most part. And then. And some miniature
0: sets. Terminator 2 Arnie's got the the endoskeleton kind of on the outside of him and then by Terminator 3 you've got the the actor in in makeup on one side and then just green or blue on the other with some dots and they've merged the technology they're like it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be one or the other we can have both and that to me yeah. was just an ex- in what 20 years was just an extraordinary leap
1: yeah yeah, no, it's it's amazing how fast things change. So you really kind of have to keep keep on it. In fact, you have to be more than keeping on it. You have to create it. You have to come up with new ideas to stay ahead.
0: Absolutely. The uh, um, I was talking with you about uh, every, having everything go to Blu-ray now and, and seeing everything in high definition. Uh, Back to the Future is, is one of my favorite movies. And in some of those uh, shots with them in the future, you know, when everyone's... Th- they aged. had to start somewhere. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, woof! <laughs> you know, yeah, they didn't see they just, Blu-ray
1: coming. Well, yeah, and at the time, uh, you know, as I mentioned um, before we jumped on this, I saw that in the theaters, and um, I remember just being blown away by how good those age makeups were. And I still think they're quite an achievement. Yeah, oh, you know, absolutely. And it was foam latex. You know, it's not the new translucent materials we have. Um, and it's, you know, it was, it was done uh, at a time where, you know, Dick Smith was still kind of raining, and not a lot of people could do what Dick was doing. You know, Dick Smith, the you know, world famous makeup artist um, who really kind of uh, helped develop prosthetics and prosthetic effects. And uh, Ken Chase did the work on, on back to the future. Right. And like I said, I mean, I, I, I thought it was just a breakthrough at the time. And like, like you said, it's, it's just not designed. I mean, we, we shot on 35 millimeter film. We had big silver halides. We had all sorts of other ways to kind of mask the trick and then of course high definition comes along blu-ray comes along uh-huh. 4k comes along and there's not much that you can really if i mean it's it's kind of fun if you're an effects fan because you can go back and really you know study these things i mean I, I love looking at like old matte paintings from older films and you could really see the artistry that it required to pull it off and you know nowadays maybe some of those matte paintings even by the best they're they're it's quite an artifice there, you know, it's hard to get past. Um, but you still can appreciate the talent that went into it. And nowadays, it's, you know, not, it's not like hand painting a mat or, you know, the the struggles Correct. that people had to deal with back then.
0: It's it's interesting because you can go from one uh, project to the other. Like we were talking about, about Twister as well. And you know, how, when that show first, first came out, it was, it was cutting Absolutely cutting edge at the time. Everyone was blown away. Now we can yep. look back at it and go, "It's it's it holds up." That there, that there, you know. But yeah, then here and there, yeah. You look at something like, and maybe it's because I just don't have the the vocabulary for it. But like Jurassic Park, you know, that was that was one of the earlier films where there were complete CG creatures in in that movie, and it still holds up. You know, I I have a hard time looking at that and finding fault, which suggests to me that if you have the right people and if you have the right technology, you can pull anything off that can really last ages. I'm sure you look at it and see things that no one else would because you're looking at it with
1: your eye. Yeah, budget and schedule also needs to be added to that list because, you know, there's a lot of times where you just literally run out of time. I mean, there's just no way to get it completely perfect by the time it needs to go in front of camera. Right. So there's, there's all sorts of reasons that effects don't work. Um, And it's not always, you know, there's always, you know, I think everybody knows the story of the shark and jaws and shark not working. (laughs) It's it's a pretty, well, it does. Yeah. I mean, it's, that was a big, big urethane and steel contraption, which was pretty amazing for the time. Somehow the movie still works really well, in fact, but you know, the shark actually was an amazing achievement. Uh, of technology and it did work um the problem was is that it was in salt water and it all rusted right and you know they kind of kept it in water and just let it sit (laughs) you know so it it was not in the best of conditions by the time they went to shoot it so you know you can look at it like that's the effects fault but you know i mean it, it takes two to tango in these movies and so the magic trick is only good if we can shoot it you know? That's true. so it's it's a it is a whole relationship with the whole production and everybody needs to kind of climb on board to create all this stuff however it's nice when you can just you know blame the effects guys
0: <laughs> <laughs> right effects guy over here we hear yeah.
1: that <laughs> well it's yeah you know what i mean so i mean of it's, course uh, particularly with practical effects you know it's it's, it's always been interesting to try to do practical effects on a schedule. You're essentially creating a magic trick um, yeah. to performed in front of one eyeball, you know, the camera. Um, usually repeatedly, you know, you want to have something that you could repeat for take two and three. But it's, you know, it's, it's tricky. And some things just don't work sometimes. We've, we've been fortunate that we haven't had much of those troubles. Most of our stuff is usually pretty solid. Um, but, you know, when it isn't, it's usually, you know, the the clamoring of schedule and budgets and, you know, other things. It's not usually like, you know, one of my effects guys fucked up. It's usually
0: right. just all the other elements. What are some of the things that you have achieved over the years that you are most proud of?
1: Um. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm really proud that i <laughs> And go. Yeah, I, I did that's not right. prepare a speech. Um, I, I'm proud of our team. We have a really great team in both shops, Toronto and Vancouver. Um, and it's, it's, some of them just blow me away on a daily basis. They're so good. Um, I should say many of them are like that. Uh, so I'm, I'm really proud of our, our, our studios and uh, the fact that we're going to be 35 next year. I don't know. I don't know any studio that's really pulled that one off um so that's pretty cool i think i think rick baker actually did 42 years i think was his um and maybe there was somebody else but i mean any of our companies that make it past 10 years you know Mm. these these kind of prosthetic companies amaze me the fact that we've been around for you know three and a half decades is is mind-boggling so i'm 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 proud for that and um you know proud that people are starting to kind of look at our stuff like uh uh we've got classics you know we've done the classics which is really funny you know it's like i was hip and then i was classic <laughs> <laughs> i think that's like uh, code for something anyway but no it's uh i can't i mean i hate picking off projects i mean we've done so many cool projects that you know certainly aren't the responsibility solely of ours Correct. it's when you know all these pieces kind of click together somehow from you know effects to visual effects to our work to Writer, director, actors, that's when things really sing. And I've I've been lucky to have a few of those where people... I was just on a um, Zoom last night um, for a show called After Midnight that just came out in 2019. And uh, it was the directors and the cinematographer, the writers and producer. And I hadn't seen these guys since uh, when when we did it back in 2018. And, you know, it was a little project, but those guys were really smart about it they wrote a really good script and uh, they came to us to in, in enough time with enough budget to do a decent monster and it all worked together really well it really didn't cost a huge amount and that's a good example of a show that you know has the eye on the ball they, they know what they're wanting to do they didn't overachieve and they certainly didn't underachieve and that's uh, a good little flick so it's it's cool to be involved from you know things like that all the way to uh, bigger shows that uh, are kind of immense and you have uh, less control over. But yeah, it's it's nice to still be around.
0: How did the relationship with Stargate SG-1 come about?
1: Um, I was, so I'm a dual citizen, US and Canada. And I was starting to do more Canadian stuff at the time. So I guess this would be like mid 90s, maybe late 90s and an old buddy of mine uh steve johnson uh was doing the work to begin with on stargate and then it was dave Dupuis, i believe it was and then there was a couple other local vancouver folks that started to the, the do stargate stuff and so i started kind of you know as i pushed you know more north into vancouver uh. um, i started talking to him and, and explaining to him when i was you know, coming into town is anything we can help them out with? And so just by relations, we just started talking more about it. So when another season came along of Stargate SGI, they asked us if we would, um, I think the first thing might have been rebuilding Thor. Revelations. Thor that's yeah, right. To do a new
0: Asgard model.
1: I think that was it because Steve, his old company called XFX, and I think in Vancouver it was called Pacific Northwest Effects or something like that. Uh, they had made the initial Thor, but it was really like, only from waist up. Uh-huh. And and it it you know, they just kind of shot it and threw it in a box. <laughs> and so Thor just kind of lived in a coffin began for a while. to deteriorate, yep. Yeah, I had some trouble. So we took it on as a new project, and as as that kinda of happened, um, they were excited to kind of see us do more work and since we were in Vancouver at that point, uh, it was easier for us to handle series work like that. And so we started doing some Unus, and we started doing some Prior, and we started just kind of, you know, building uh, more and more stuff for the show.
0: The Super Soldier as well, if I'm remembering correctly. Maybe. Were you guys responsible for that? Yeah, in Evolution 1 and 2, the big Dan Payne's character in the black suit.
1: Oh, that's right. Uh, we might have had something to do on that. Yeah. It's kind of—I'm sorry, my, my brain's getting foggy. Yeah, it's so. good. I mean, we, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> you know, I mean, we've done Star Wars, Star Trek, Stargate, Star—you know—starting <laughs> to blur together here. Um, no offense to anybody, but I mean, it's we—you know—when you do series work like this, uh, especially if it's heavy on the effects, uh, mm-hmm. it comes fast and furious. And you're prepping one episode while you're shooting another, while you're wrapping another. And you might even be prepping another episode that's got some bigger stuff down the line. So things just go and you try to hang on as best as you can. And of course, you know, we're not a studio that just does one series. So even at that time we were juggling a couple things. We were were pretty small back then, but, um, as things got busier and busier, you know, we got busier in Vancouver and, and LA at the time. And, um, Somehow, you know, we made it into Atlantis. We did all the Atlantis stuff, and I don't know when Atlantis wrapped, but that was that was kind of our our last Stargate related thing. I think all those Atlantis.
0: Two
1: thousand nine. Was it two thousand nine? Wow! So
0: yeah, they started going oh, digital go. with any of the alien creatures because they were so far out there in the universe that there was, you know, there was no chance of anything really resembling human beings. So perfect. The can I, I, and I, I may be... Picking your brain a little too deeply here. Ken, one of the b- most beloved characters in SG one and Atlantis for that matter, uh, was, were the Asgard and Thor <laughs> Thor specifically. Um, he, his redesign, the, the version that we really see f- through the, to the end of the show in terms of that specific aesthetic and look was in revelations. And from his you know, steel frame, which I imagine he had on the. I sold the prop years later, um, that he had on the inside to that that on the outside and the veins and everything underneath. What goes into creating a character like him? Not only the the character itself, but then the poles and the attachments and everything else that make him move, and then the radio controls for the face.
1: Yeah, they're they're really complicated. I mean, that, that comes from a really talented team. Um, we have really good sculptors and mold makers and. Animatronics people on that, um, so it's really just um, getting a great team together, people that have had experience making things like this. We, you know, it was kind of already designed, so we didn't have to True. necessarily like concept it. And uh, we started with a sculpture, and molded it, and uh, then made a core, which is kind of let's just call the skeleton form, and uh, cast it out of intrinsic silicone, as you noted, and. Um, had some really cool armature uh, stuff in there. there as rod armature as well as radio-controlled features. And I think the neck might have been a linkage. It's been a while. And, um, you know, just delicate work all the way, uh, which is always tricky because I think that one we probably did in five weeks. Um, wow. No, I know. And it's, it's, it's kind of unbelievable. You know, I, I think back to some of these schedules we've achieved and the work that's come out of it. And it's just, it kind of blows your mind sometimes. That, you know, how did we do that? So, um, but Thor, Thor came together really nicely and, uh, um, he operated pretty well for a long time. In fact, I don't even know if he ever broke down. Um, we had, I mean, it was a silicone skin that was all sealed in. So it was, it it would have been a really challenging, challenging thing to try to get in there and fix. Um, but yeah, he seemed to he seemed to be pretty well he also ended up in a like a box like a coffin and they would just shove him in the storage. correct <laughs> i yeah. always felt bad for him I was like okay be- great episodes see you later. <laughs> <laughs> see you later he had like this place
0: to go it was yeah. for 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 those who don't know he came with two co- coffins quote unquote uh, of so equal size over. there were two black boxes and if you open up the the inner lining was like a it was like You know, universe planets and everything else. I mean, mean, it was kind of outrageous when you think about it. (laughs) One housed the puppet and the radio controls and some of the gear. And then the other one was all of the poles and all the accoutrements that kind of went with them. And, you know, Morris Chaplin talked about at one point, you know, like practically flying with the puppet. To some of these <laughs> conventions in the United awesome, States. Awesome. And I was like, let's just get the <laughs> let's just get the puppet a ticket, you know. He doesn't have yep. to go under the plane. He'll just sit right there with me. <laughs> you know, it's just, just abs- absolutely. <laughs> I have to wonder though, when he does break down, I'm sure you've left your business card with Stargate Productions so that they can that when when you design something like that. Are you contracted to come in, your team to come in and facilitate every time he's on camera so that you, that for like insurance purposes and whatever, if, if something breaks, then you guys can go and take it over? Or is it just like, here are the instructions, here's what you do with him, if something happens, call us and we will figure it out. How does that work? Is there a budget built in for that, you know, for if he breaks down? What, what's it at play for a character like Thor?
1: Well, I think it really depends on the production's wishes. We okay. we encourage productions to hire our people for set work. So, you know, if there is any issues, they know what's inside that thing and they can, you know, get direct and, and deal with it. Um, some productions don't do that. And uh, it, I, I usually don't accept things like this, um, you know, where it's another group that's on set with it. Because if if things happen... They don't know what was built in there, and correct. You know, they, they could change one thing that can alter another thing, and just cause this like snowball effect. So um, that that's pretty tricky. Usually, our unset set people uh, for a puppet like that are union puppeteers, like Morris was, and a uh, few others we had on that team. Um, and so they would be contracted directly by production, even though they, you know, kind of worked out of our studios and had some familiarity with these things. And uh, they would kind of be responsible for Thor, kind of like uh, Thor's entourage in a way. And right.
0: he has a whole series yeah. of people, like like right. any high-profile actor would.
1: Well, exactly. And I think that's what kept Thor going for so long. Is that You know, there wasn't any issues because this team was aware of things that you don't try to do with Thor. I remember uh, one of the directors came up and I don't know where he found these like red baron snoopy eye goggles and he takes them up and he puts them on four and snaps them on and we're all like <laughs> ah, don't do that it's electronics <laughs> you know, with Thor.
0: yeah there's electronics just well, beneath the surface eyeballs eyeballs and everything and else.
1: And... yeah oh my god I, I didn't know the guy that well at the time and i kind of went up to him and i said you really can't do that and he's wow. like looking at me like i'm the director dude and i'm like okay Whoa. <laughs> I mean, he was cool about it, but I mean, it was just kind of like getting to know you kind of thing.
0: Wow, and yeah, and just, my first reaction you know, is to laugh at it, and your reaction is, you're you're freaking out. And it's like, you know what, that yeah. that makes... That could be
1: two weeks of uh, yeah. fix there, or three weeks. You oh, know, that could God. really be a bad thing. So, you know, it, it, our crew is usually like an army that protects the, the animatronics, and if they're not there, that it's tricky, because what do you do? I mean, you know, if they do have a trouble, we don't know what the people they hired did do. Yeah. So it's always a tricky engagement, but that's that's why we like to have set people. there.
0: Do you um So there's no like warranty on him or anything like that. It's like we're we're we're, we're building him to last and this is I'm sure, you know, you, like because you have union guys and everything. There are there are do's and don'ts. Like don't snap some, you know, Snoopy aviator goggles on on the puppet. That's bad. Don't want to we, do we've that. We've
1: added that to the contract now. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> um I mean, it's we've been really fortunate i mean a lot of our practical stuff has always been really stout um uh, you know even on falling skies i think uh, we did a lot of a lot of animatronic characters on falling skies like every single episode seemed to have something and i think we had one challenge when uh motor burnout <laughs> literally a motor inside of a skitter had caught fire and <laughs> You look over, and there's a skitter with black smoke coming out of it. Like, eh. You know, so, I mean, motors are going to go. I mean, that's just part of animatronics. You, you we, we fortunately have really good servo motors these days compared to the old days. Um, but it does happen. You know, there, I, I saw it once on Falling Skies. It was like the first burnt motor I'd seen in a long damn time. Um, but that's, again, why you got to have your, your set people there to be able to do it. And, and start if, you know,
0: Stargate huh? was pretty good about that then, no. Oh yeah, no Stargate. Stargate motors. was.
1: Re- they were no. Stargate was really smooth in that yeah. respect. I mean the, the 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 team on Stargate, the producing team and the cast and uh, the directors that snapped goggles on things. They were all really great. I mean, <laughs> we, we're we're all still really good friends these days. We uh-huh. still t- touch base. Um, and you know it, it it's it was kind of a, a really uh, it was a moment in time. It was a lot of fun to. To be on that show because it was a really good vibe there from what i've seen of falling
0: skies a lot of the creature effects would have had to have been done outside everyone's on the ground you know romping around whereas a creature like an asgard is going to be confined in the sound stage you know you're going to have controlled conditions the the humidity level is going to be lower than in the out of doors you know where it's always raining and everything else so there's 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 fewer opportunities for things to go wrong
1: i would imagine um yeah i guess so i mean uh yeah the element certainly does kind of add an extra wrinkle to things Uh Um, especially in vancouver because it does rain and it's cold a lot but you know again that's the reason you want to have a team there to protect this you know valuable asset and make sure it it is ready to go so that's that's kind of it
0: the unas makeup so there was a a creature that was featured in season one uh thor's hammer uh, voiced by by James Earl yep. Jones. Were you involved in that one? W- when did you come in with, with the Unas? Did you come in for one of the later iterations? I came in
1: when Chaka,
0: uh, Shaka... Shaka, uh, season arrived.
1: four. So what was, was that Beast of Burden, I think?
0: Uh, so this this was the first ones. Peter Deloys episode. First ones, there you mm-hmm. go.
1: Peter DeLuise, my one of my good buddies. Um, he's crazy. Yeah, so... Oh, he's great. He's um, great. And, and crazy. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> We had, we had seen that makeup. Um, I think that might've been a Dave Dupuis makeup. i can't okay. remember who did that one. I don't think it was us. Okay. Uh, and we had come in and they had hired Dion Johnstone to play. Brilliant. Physical yeah, actor. Great. Really beautiful guy. He's a wonderful performer. And um, he, uh, he kind of embodied that character really well. So he gave us a really good inspiration on the design of him because he was supposed to be kind of like a teenager. Mm-hmm. You know, like a teenage Unis, and there was a bunch of other Unis, I think, in that episode too. But mm-hmm. I think that was our first, the you know, this new edition. You know, because like whatever was done years ago, there was a long break before we saw the Unis again, and these were kind of that new brand of Unis, and um, and yeah, uh, <laughs> Peter DeLuise, uh directed the hell out of it.
0: In a situation like that, you know, I've. I've been in situations where I've had, like, my head encased in various things for when we were filming the um, uh, photography for a lot of the, the Stargate uh, merchandise and costumes over at PropWorks. And it shocked me how quickly my head heated up when it was completely encased in Jaffa armor. And it was like, whoa, I cannot imagine what it would be like for someone like Dion Johnstone or Alex Zahara later on who came in to play a number of these these roles to yeah, be fun, in that fun, like, all day long. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. Total kudos to Dan Payne and like, Dan and Payne and saint and, among and men. There was. Yeah. I mean, there's been a, a variety of actors that, um, you know, we, we actually have a list of actors that can do this stuff really well, not just, you know, endure it, which of course is kind of a Zen, um, but also to kind of bring life to it. They really, you know, like, I don't know how much prosthetics Dan Payne wants to do anymore or Alex, um, but we, we occasionally hook up with them and do, we have a kid show that we produce called aliens, ate my homework and stole my body. <laughs> and, sort of stuff. and we got, we kind of uh, wanted those guys to, to be our, there was actually quite a bit of Stargate in, installed in that show, but, uh, I begged and pleaded those guys to be our alien characters just cause I know that they would not only be able to endure it, but be able to perform through it. Correct. And They're going to give
0: you the performance you want.
1: Yeah, so you know, I'm, I certainly can't say it's not uncomfortable. Um, those guys really manage their their emotions about it, but it's it's certainly foam latex prosthetics are a lot easier than say like a big helmet that has no air escaping it or something like that. Um, so there's there's a, been a couple actors. Chris Heyerdahl is another one yes. who's done a few prosthetics for us. Um, anyway, these they're they're just genius actors that have such control of their craft uh, that they can understand their new face and work it, perform it. You, you know, after you apply all this makeup on these people um, you kind of learn you know, whether or not they're going to be able to bring it out. And sometimes you see actors in front of the mirrors with their new faces, you know, really kind of looking for their best faces, which is kind of fun when it really works together. So those, those folks are great.
0: I want to talk a little bit about the evolution of the technology uh the the makeup over the course of your career um you know we've we've gone far from from rubber heads you know like you were saying foam latex and everything else the you want to free up i'm sure to free up the actor as much as possible to give the most articulate performance here if you can because i mean at at the core of science fiction and horror and everything else it's nothing if it's not about humanity and, and the 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 human nature of whatever kind of critter it is, because that's how yeah, we as audiences go, Ugh, yeah. you know, we, right. you, we you identify something.
1: With, yeah. You really have to kind of connect with something on the screen if you're going to watch a show and be engaged in it. Correct. So you can actually ride along with those characters. So if they're just like a big blob um, or I don't know, something CG, it's really hard to get any soul out of
0: them. Exactly. Though, I mean, I, th- I think that, you know, Seth MacFarlane has done a, a pretty reasonable job with Yafit on the Orville. But still, you know, it's nice to have a critter in there somewhere. But uh, tell us about how that, how, about watching that, that makeup evolve so that it creates, you know, a better experience for the actors over the years. And more uh, and, technology, and, yeah, and a fraction of uh, taking a fraction of the time to 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 apply
1: it as opposed to before,
0: and it's, and that comes out of repetition as well.
1: Yeah, and technology and, and you know methodology, um, yeah, it's certainly uh, changed throughout my career. I mean, I I came in, and it was pretty much foam latex and fiberglass was kind of everything, and there wasn't silicones and there wasn't like a lot of rubber molds or anything like that. And nowadays, um, you know, we still use foam latex and we still use, you know, fiberglass and items like that. Um, but we're, we're a lot more dialed into uh, a more fleshy uh, silicone substance for prosthetics. If we're going to do like an age makeup, you know, we, we wouldn't do that in foam latex these days. If it was like a big monster head that had a lot of dense paint on it. Then yeah, maybe it's foam latex. Um, so there's there's all sorts of new methodologies to kind of create this work we can scan actors instead of life cast them. we can uh, generate even molds out of our you know, 3d printing so uh it's it's fun to kind of experience the, the the transformation of prosthetics over the years um and hopefully be one of the leaders of that
0: i did not realize you can scan an actor now instead of doing a life cast yeah, I, it's, it's like well, the, duh, David. You know that makes a lot of sense. We we that's really come far. Holy cow!
1: Yeah, it's it's um, you know last let's see. We started photogramming. It was in Hemlock Grove. We started photograph photogramming. We had a uh, we didn't quite have a Toronto shop yet. During then, we had an LA shop. We had a Vancouver shop, and, and to deal with the location issue, we started photogramming uh, some of the actors. You know, this is almost ten years ago. And we had a great team in the LA shop that would uh, just kind of put it all together and create you know, our 3D models. Nowadays, um, scanning's got a lot better. Um, it's easier to have like a portable scanner. Uh, my buddy Louie on the Saturday Live, he he actually uses that quite a bit to shorten up his, 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 his uh, pipeline because he has to make prosthetics in like four days or three days or something. And so he's been using scanning and printing quite a bit. There's a few other artists that are really kind of making it a part of their, 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 work. Um, we, we are as well. We, we did quite a bit of that on the, uh, the child's play movie, the, you know, the recent uh-huh. child's Play Chucky sequel, um, the hands on Chucky were so small that it was just easier for us to do it digitally, print digital okay. molds and make digital armatures and, and all that stuff. So we have a ways to go to really kind of, um, make it as common as say like face casting, but we we definitely are using it and um it it helps quite a bit
0: is there a desire to achieve as much practically in camera as possible rather than to say well you know what in order to get this to work we're just like with chucky's hands you know we're, we're gonna have to achieve this digitally is there kind of like a uh Not let down is not the word that I want when you have to achieve something digitally, but I mean, I'm sure you would probably agree that 99% of the time achieving stuff in camera is going to be as much more realistic, or maybe I'm wrong.
1: Well, that's kind of the fun of designing effects. Um, You know, if, if you've been around long enough to see all sorts of different types of effects like I have, you, you don't want to just like throw it out with the bathwater, you know, it's like the digital baby and the digital, you know, all that kind of thinking you want to be able to, you know, take what we've learned over the eons of, of filmmaking and, and effects. And, you know, we, we all kind of have to take what the previous successes were and then stand on those shoulders and so on and so forth. Correct. Hopefully making it better looking more, you know, natural feeling, more believable, better for actors, better for directors. So it's, it's kind of a bit of a, um, uh, there's quite a few elements to choose from in terms of designing effects. And you have to be uh, pretty experienced to know why and when. And I was just having, a, we have a new show that we're doing now where the visual effects supervisor and I, we worked together like 10 years ago. and fortunately we have this like really great handshake together. Good. And he and I speak almost the exact same language. And because we know that the assets of one methodology are, might be the liabilities of the other and there are ways to kind of mix them so they both support each other. Um, you know, the nice thing about practical effects is it 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 looks real because it is real. You know, it it looks organically there because it actually is organically there. The the negative, if you want to look at it this way, for a particular situation, is that it's actually there. You know, though you can't end, uh, you know, physics. You 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 have to deal with an object that's physically there. So you need to kind of find when and where to use what. Uh the other thing that kind of evolved probably out of the falling skies experience is we really had to fight for some of those gags to be practical because we knew that we would be able to deliver something better um probably because of you know experience on this show uh star trek (laughs) first contact you know when we had alice come down and head yes plugs in and all that we really fought for that one too to be practical because or a lot of it mostly you know led practically because we knew that having uh, Spiner and Alice acting in the same room together was going to be magic. And if we shot Alice like three months later from Brent and comped her in, it wouldn't have been the same thing. And so you need to know when and where to do it. Like on Falling Skies, like I was saying, we had Doug Jones, the great Doug Jones in a prosthetic uh, character called Cochise. And we really pushed it to another level there where we had him show up in a full prosthetic, um where he could move the mouth and the head and all that but his eyes were like way out here and he had to see through these like little little slots in his nose and then we went back and we enhanced his performance uh actually using his 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 voice track uh to drive a lot of the eyebrows and all that stuff and it really came up with a a whole new way of doing prosthetics and and achieving things like that for television because television usually doesn't have a lot of time to do 3d characters and we knew eventually it was going to like Either Coaches was going to disappear or he was going to be kind of marginal. And, you know, for a character to really take us through a show, you know, like a Coaches or anything like that, you have to really believe it. You have to believe the thing has soul. You have to believe that he's really, you know, there. Uh, you want something that the other actors can believe in and be blocked with. You know, directors, they don't like blocking with, you know, tennis balls on a C stand. It's so much better to have something there. Something with so, life and some yeah. kind of an
0: expression, yeah.
1: Yeah, so it doesn't work for everything, but there's, uh, there's a lot of cases where the practical digital handshake can work. And knowing the where and the when is is really kind of the trick to it because um, there isn't really a base set of rules. There's a lot of guidelines, but the whole point is to kind of like make something fresh and surprising.
0: I would imagine, again, going back to the, the more lead time that you have in pre-production, the better yeah. off that's going to be.
1: Yeah, which, you know, I'll be I'll be saying that until I'm dead Um, because it's you never have enough time.
0: But also at the same time, do you want your director to still have the freedom of coming up to you on set and saying, I've got this idea. Do you think we could achieve this or would this completely derail the whole thing? No, absolutely.
1: That's that's why you got to have this knowledge base, you know, because um, I used to do Tales from the Crypt and uh, (laughs) and Bob Zemeckis used to do a bunch of those. And Bob yeah. is notorious for doing exactly what you just said. You know, <laughs> coming up to you on set, going like, "I got an idea." <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you don't want to say no to Bob's. American. No, you want to you want to make him happy, right? So you you kind of you have to make sure that you're ready for anything. I mean, you know, you design and prep as best you can, and then you you got to be ready for rain. You got to be ready for. Actors not showing up or, you know, any, any, any possible combination of madness can happen, which will derail plans. But that's kind of what the whole gig is, is being prepared, having a B plan and, um, you know, rolling with it if you have to. Did your team do the Crypt Keeper puppet? No, it was Kevin Yeager and okay. his team. Um, we did um, the makeup effects for we probably did the most episodes. In makeup effects okay. um there was quite a few seasons in there that we were just the solid go-to prosthetics house but like in the beginning there was a couple other artists i actually did the uh, crypt set from the very beginning okay. i sculpted that whole damn thing and um <laughs> i kept going to the producers like i'm not a i'm not a sculptor of rocks and stuff i just just happen to do this you know right <laughs> You prosthetic effects. You guys should hire us for am Sure, they'll, effects. Be like, they'll be like, they're like, you're fine. You keep going. Yeah, yeah. Right? It, it took a, it took a couple seasons for them to finally go. Oh, you do prosthetic effects? Okay, well, we'll this one. <laughs> and so then we started doing that, and uh, eventually we became the go to uh, tales of the crypt effects guys. And we did uh, the first movie, Demon Knight, and we kind of patched up the second movie, Bordello Blood. Mm. And blah 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 blah
0: blah. There. The the aging effects. We talked about it a little bit with a project that you weren't on. I'd like to pro- talk about it with a little bit of project that you were. Um, it it can be really hit and miss. You can tell when it's done well, and other times it's like, I guess that works. You know, I mean the the process of aging characters like the SG One team in Unending. You know, um, uh, last episode of the series. Uh, what what were some of the techniques that were used then? Uh, is are those the same techniques that are used now? I've seen th- these kind of like I don't know if it's like a spray on or whatever, but like they like stretch the face and apply stuff and then let it go back into place. And it's like yeah. you're watching Bob Ross create something out of nothing. <laughs> it's just it's a magic trick, you know, just bringing this stuff great to on life. Some phases,
1: yeah, it works fine in some phases. That's old age stipple you're talking
0: about. Okay.
1: Um, uh, what is the episode you're talking about? It was called
0: Unending it? and it was the final episode of Stargate SG1. My understanding was that you guys were responsible for uh, aging we with the SG1 team.
1: We have aged some of the team. I'm okay. trying to remember that episode to be perfectly honest. Yeah, um
0: they were all stuck on board the the spaceship together for 50 years or, and they progressively aged.
1: Mind is a horrible thing to at. Okay. Age. <laughs> um, no it's fine. Well, Nowadays, I mean, I'm presuming from back then it would have either been gelatin or foam latex. Um, both are materials that we really don't use anymore for aging. Okay. Um, nowadays, it's, we do still use stipple, um, which comes in all sorts of formulations. Um, we still do prosthetics. We still do, we usually do them out of like a silicone material for like an aging. So they're very natural feeling and moving. They look translucent because they actually are translucent. Uh-huh. Um, that's kind of a standard makeup effects trick if you're if you're a makeup effects artist you kind of need to be able to do the aging and um so we've done quite a bit of them um i kind of say i don't remember that episode but no, maybe it's okay. um we've done we did quite a few on atlantis um anyway uh but yeah it's it's usually uh life cast you know sculpture um a concept design in there somehow to you know design what this character might look like and then hair pieces and all that it's 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 i mean these days that's kind of makeup effects 101 is be able to do that um at least at least you better be able to do a good age makeup
0: understood absolutely yeah that's one of those where it's like we all know what our grandparents look like we know what older people look like and we're seeing characters actors that that we're very familiar with physically and you know when you transform them um some people are going to buy it and some people just aren't. And it's amazing to watch. I remember Tori Higginson talking about uh, uh, in a season one episode called before I sleep, they, she wakes up in a stasis chamber and she remembers uh, having the makeup applied. And when she looked in the mirror, she saw our grandma.
1: Yeah, I I did that one. Um, I know I did that one. Tori was amazing. Um, Well, uh, yeah, that, that, that was kind of a funny moment for her. She was one of the actresses that, looked in front of the mirror and just played with it for a while, which was really cool. And she got some really great expressions. One of the tricks to doing uh, film aging is kind of what you just mentioned. Um, The actor, the producer, the director, they usually want a sense of the actor in the makeup. And as you probably know, just from experiencing life, people don't really look like themselves, you know, 40 years down the line. Uh Sometimes they might just have a nose that you are familiar or something like that. So it's, it's tricky to remain, Believable in aging because everybody wants to age beautifully. Right. Um, you know they don't, they don't want to get well. It's true they don't want like yeah. their jawline down here and their big waddle. The big I mean, it's it's just part of life. Yeah, and um, the truth of the matter is we all age, and some people do it beautifully. Uh, most people, you know, they they drink garbage and they smoke and they you know they eat crap food, abuse their and, bodies. Yeah, right, and and their bodies show it. Uh So, you know, it's kind of this weird little like balance. So whenever I'm doing concepts of age makeups, I'm always trying to imagine what that character would live through those times. You know what? Uh, the, you know, Tori's character, I didn't expect her to be like, you know, doing drugs or drinking garbage (laughs) or something like that. So I tried to do her gracefully. Yeah. uh, She was just in uh, a stasis pod. She's aging extremely
0: slowly. So.
1: And beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And other characters, you know, you want to kind of really play up that stuff. And really, kind of show some of the results of their choices, you know. So um, it's it's really funny. I, uh, <laughs> I, I I can look at people and see where they're going to age and how they're going to age. And it's just something. After doing so much aging design over the years, um, you just you just see it after a while. You just see what's going to yeah. be believably their situation in forty or fifty years. It's and the human that,
0: form and gravity is constant
1: so. yeah yeah and, and and their choices are are going to be evidenced on their face you know so um it, it sucks when you're like dating someone and you look across the table and you just go oh shit <laughs> 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 i just photoshopped your face damn it uh, why did i do that you want to see how someone ages look at their parent
0: look at look at their their parents you know
1: not only not always true actually. not always true uh, not always true no um it's it's usually kind of the result of life choices yeah um you know we we all make dumb decisions none of us want to that's, eat true. <laughs> that's
0: true that's a fair point did you uh uh I'm, I'm trying to look through um the information that i have here were you involved with the wraith makeup yes okay yes. so yeah, actually and-
1: one of the wraith was even named after me there's a Wraith called Todd.
0: Todd, that's correct. Yeah, so that was Chris Heierdahl's character. Yes. I didn't know he was named after you. That's a great trivia.
1: I, I have never had any of the writers come up and say, hey, we named him after you. But it was like that, <laughs> I, I was kind of a permanent staple there for a while. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> who's going to name it Wraith Todd? So um, I guess it was an inside joke. Yeah, I, Shepard I, did. Know. Yeah, that's yeah, funny. Yeah. And he
0: was the most prominent uh, on the series. Yeah, Chris Heierdahl. Yeah. Uh, was extraordinary and, as that character, and Andy Frizzell, yeah, really, You know, going back to the pilot, yeah. Dan Payne was in. I've got, I've got one of the the soldiers in my house. That it's an extraordinary <laughs> piece of makeup. What you guys did with James Robbins' designs, yeah. And we yeah, talked James about this. Great. He creates them, and then you will them into solid reality, which is just <laughs> an extraordinary achievement. It's kind of mind bending, you know, that he can no, think he just, it, yeah, and it. you guys can just oh well we'll have that in a few weeks
1: pretty much yeah pretty much no I, that was a uh, quite a little uh wraith factory there for a while absolutely uh, Chris doll has a little uh kiss uh makeup uh concept yes he does it's, it's our little because i love kiss growing up yeah so we were doing a lot of tattoos on those things and i i, I must have been working too long because i i was designing like so much stuff at the time and uh, just crazy schedules and then all of a sudden we ended up with a kiss tattoo on one of them like, oh, <laughs> <Hope> nobody notices <laughs> and
0: it's another example because andy has, has talked to at length about how you know when she first did it i mean especially for rising she had gloves that she yep. would put her hands in so those weren't actually her fingers right. and you know by the end of it that had changed the makeup had, she had, they were doing something other than like a foam latex, my understanding was, at the start of it, and they had moved, you guys had moved later into other things that were just quicker and easier for her to emote and express herself right. with.
1: Yeah, the original yeah. ones were like an early form of uh, silicone makeups. Um, okay. Just as silicone makeups were really starting to become on the scene, <clears throat> a lot of development still had to be done. And so we made the faces very translucent because, you know, take advantage of the material. And her gloves were actually made out of uh, this, um, this thermoplastic shit that you, we actually made out of sex toys. Wow. We so Andy was wearing sex toys on me. Any port in a storm. <laughs> <laughs> Andy's great. She, she, was, yeah. she was another one of those actresses or actors and actresses that can really pull it through the, the makeup. And uh, she really had such a presence in that thing. It was really, really fun to watch what
0: do you see on the horizon in terms of this technology evolving uh in all of its various forms not just the tech but the um the methodology like you said you know that you are are most excited about that's that's in development that you're seeing people use or that's you know a theoretical material that's coming out you know that uh or maybe more use with with the digital space in terms of hybridizing what's what's on set and what exists uh, yeah, in, in the makeup space and in the digital space.
1: Yeah. You just answered it. All, all of that stuff is what we've got our focus on. I mean, um, we, we like to be a studio that has more options you know, than anybody else. So the, the mixing of practical and digital is a lot of fun. And I, there's really nobody else that does it like we do. There you go. Um, so that's great. Um, pushing more into, you know, scanning and 3d printing is also something that we're doing. Um, you know, eventually uh we'll, we'll really kind of push that you know like uh, there's a great studio in, in the valley down in california called uh, uh legacy that has a really amazing digital print department and uh you know they don't even do molds much anymore and so that's that's something that we need to, to push into uh, i think i mentioned before we hopped on we're starting to make our own movies or mm-hmm. we have been making our own movies for a while and we're starting to kind of do a lot more of that um which, which to me is really what the point of all this is, um, you know. Like I said earlier, not the disc rubber nose making, but I, I always wanted to do more than just you know prosthetics. I, I wanted to create characters and I wanted to create moments in cinema if we could. And so now we're kind of like pushing even beyond. We we want to make cinema. Period. So uh, we have our own little uh, production situation developing, um, or I should say developed. We've actually done quite a few, like I mentioned the. Uh, aliens ate my homework series <laughs> psycho gorman's uh, master's effects project uh, co-production um there's quite a few of these uh, that we're, we're playing with uh that we're we're finding a lot of fun and you know we can do them unlike anybody else so it's it's pretty cool so the sky's the limit yeah i guess or you know for, you know we're talking about stargate here it's even yeah. beyond the sky so
0: yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's SG4, but, you know, hopefully Brad's got something cooking. So we've... I think it's
1: Brad's birthday today, actually. Is happy it? birthday, Brad, if you're out there. Yeah, I think Brad is having his birthday today. I think he's 27.
0: Yeah, I think that sounds about right. I, no, 20. I think it's I think it's 26?
1: Yeah, I think anyway. he's 26. Yeah, Brad happy Wright. birthday, Brad
0: Wright. I'll be darned. Yeah. There you go. And it's a significant one, if you're looking at the date. Good for him.
1: Oh, fantastic. Is he 30? Uh,
0: times two. Uh, yeah so (laughs) the the absolutely brad happy birthday you know one of the people who is absolutely making all this you know possible for us to talk about years later just extent that that it would not be possible without without the people like brad right the the one of the things that i think is absolutely mind-blowing to watch was the mandalorian and the volume that L- LED light. Oh, you're,
1: you're talking to digital production stuff. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Just
0: it? mind blowing because if nothing else, get rid of that frigging green screen screen <laughs> and have an actual reflection of the surrounding light on the characters faces that is accurate of the space that is yeah. intended.
1: Well, real time in general is is definitely something that's arrived and you know quantum computing and all this stuff i mean, we're, we're gonna see some amazing stuff in the next 10 years mm-hmm. and uh it's you know that's kind of some of the fun is to try to guess where this is going to go uh, and try to stay ahead of it um but yeah digital production is um probably something that a lot of people aren't quite aware of i think mandalorian is probably the the biggest popular use of it so far but there's been a lot of other stuff that's done this way uh real fake is another thing that's going to come in and really transform things so that that might take away old age makeups Um, there's a a lot of this stuff coming down the pike that you know people always love to develop stuff and you know make uh you know cinema easier and better Uh, so these are these are some pretty exciting tools it's the the
0: the velocity at which hollywood has to keep up with with the technology that that even is available in consumers, in the hands of consumers. I know they spent so much time working on Tarkin and Leia for, like, uh, Rogue One. And then I saw a deep fake, you know, like a year ago that, in my opinion, particularly with Carrie, looks better. Because <laughs> it's actually her face, you know? And it's just... The, the, you're right. I think it's going to be... 10 years from now for good in terms of entertainment and for ill in terms of us questioning reality as consumers with the media and everything else. It's going to be an extraordinary development over the next several years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That'll be really interesting when they have like, you know, video politicians saying things. Yeah. And you, you you know, you're supposed to believe, but you shouldn't.
0: Yeah, exactly. How can you disprove it when, when the uncanny Valley is
1: just shattered? I saw it so, with my own eyes. Saw it yeah, with my so, own eyes. Yeah, Absolutely. No, there's, we need to educate um, people, not just our age, but you know, yeah. new people, young people, how this is really going to kick everybody's ass. If we're not yeah. Careful. yeah. Know, if, it's the, if it's if it's not
0: handled right, we could be in real trouble. So <laughs> no, This
1: is all those science fiction stories that we've been reading forever. Correct. That, so many you know, of them are
0: coming to life now. Black Mirror can't keep up yeah, with yeah. it.
1: Right. So, you know, we need to be aware of a society that where this is going to be a huge part of it. And so our kids need to be aware of it. We need to be aware of it. Uh Um, You know, I don't think it's uh, uh, an unknown concept, you know, like news is is BS. It's, it's going to become more BS. So.
0: Yeah. It's going to be just crazy. I've got a couple of questions from fans for you. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah. Teresa MC. Are there any particular animals that you study mostly for, for prosthetics? I guess she's speaking beyond humans. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I study the human in. Um, <laughs> that's that's a good question. Um, yes, uh, we we really try to have a good knowledge of like every single critter on the earth if we can. I mean, there are some amazing things on our planet that are great inspiration for making aliens, um, and they still are somewhat grounded on our planet. I mean, if we just show up with like a a toaster, for instance, uh, you're not going to really give a shit. You want something that you can identify with and relate with, whether it's salamander head or whatever so we we do like to look to things that are you know natural to our planet and you know steal a paint scheme of a tropical fish for instance uh-huh. or sculpt a face that was maybe a nude or a mole you know we, we're always looking for stuff like that to kind of inspire the creativity and you know kind of help the you, you can just sit there and draw crazy little lines which is a lot of fun to do these days with all these you know ipads and all that but you have to kind of Make it something that people can connect with, one way or the other. Otherwise, it's it just doesn't quite work. So yes, we we do look at a lot of different animals. I can't see anybody in particular other than the human animal. We're definitely studying that all the time. Well,
0: I mean, it was particularly with aliens, you know. And I know, like the the Nakai and Stargate universe. I mean, they're based on a, a deep sea fish, a translucent yep. fish that everyone is like who looks at it, it's like that's not real. Oh, that's a real animal. Okay, nature's yeah. the best guide through geometry and. Particularly like symmetry, you know. I mean, well, and also that natural
1: chaos, you know. There is a there is a certain chaos to nature, and uh, things aren't symmetrical. You know, we're not. Mm. If you put someone down the face and you mirror both sides, they're gonna look like brothers of that person. So, because we're not symmetrical, that's so fair. Yeah, so you really there's like a certain natural chaos that uh, makeup effects are the good ones have a have a touch to. Uh, We call it the touch of God. Uh and there's certain artists that like dick smith was a great example he could just put his his touch on it and it wouldn't be styled it wouldn't be a designy thing it would just feel believable and so many artists have that even designing the weirdest shit uh steve wang is a great example Uh, steve wang designed the predator for stan winston Uh he along with matt rose and uh steve has this amazing ability to uh, giving things a soul as well as a weight no matter how bizarre it is and you always just his, his stuff is breathtaking for that reason there's a, several artists like that but he, he was personal
0: yeah that's why they're called artists they they imbue things with life yeah. absolutely kicks 394 this is a little bit broad I, i'm hoping you can narrow it a little bit to the fundamentals how does the process of bringing an alien creature to life work that can you can you scale that a little bit
1: Well, the alien creature's parents get together, and they have a bottle of wine. And uh, No, I'm kidding. Um, Well, so the way it begins in the film world, and not everything's the same, of course, because we're weird filmmakers. But we usually get a script, which is just, you know, type on a piece of paper, and it describes it. And then we have a meeting and we talk about what what we all read. And and then we start designing. I'm actually doing this on a show right now, like literally this afternoon. I have to interpret what is in the script. And and hopefully it's within the vision of the creators, the creative people. And so um, that step is concepting. So we do a lot of drawings. I do a lot of hand drawings as well as computer drawings. Um, And they range from like really fast scribbles to just kind of get tone Uh to more detailed drawings. Uh, Sometimes we'll even do like a deep dive, kind of a mood board. Like I say, find all these weird creatures that are in the world and just show the director, you know, this, that, maybe. Um, Once we kind of get the image done, um, you know, the concept approved, uh, then it's a matter of figuring out how to actually build it. And I usually like to make the concept even without thinking about how to build it. I like to make just weirdness. And then if someone likes the weirdness, then you go, okay, well, then we need to make that part CG or that part practical. Mm-hmm. This part's animatronic and that part's a rod. You know, so then we start figuring out those aspects of it, which kind of comes into working it out with camera. Like I was mentioning before, you know, we're doing magic tricks to one eyeball, which is the camera. And we can fool the the, the audience by not showing that part or not showing that part. So that's, Something I like to do with the director, usually with storyboards, you know, designing gags out. Um, And I usually just pitch a scene that I scribble out at storyboards and see if it's close to what they're thinking. And then we design the effects from there. Um, I have a guy that gets a screwdriver in the jaw coming up in a show. And so I drew all that out to figure out exactly how do we do that part? How does it stay in his chin? You know, they didn't want a fake head. They wanted to do it on the actor. So each, you know, those are like little tricks that we all have to figure out. Um, and then it's, you know, into the actual creation of the prosthetics or the creature, which is sculpt, mold, cast, paint, animatronics, and that whole pipeline. Wow. Make sense? I it does. It.
0: No, okay. it does. Absolutely. I have uh, uh, a specific one from Arnold G. Uh, asking about Leprechaun 2. That was Warwick <laughs> Davis, was it not?
1: Yeah. yes but i did not do the leprechaun makeup that was gabe Bartalos who did that okay. uh, and we worked uh, leprechaun too. i never get questions asked about
0: leprechaun <laughs> so, um, welcome to dial yeah. the gate todd yeah no kidding right
1: <laughs> um so we did all the other gags there's like I a see. skeleton that attacks somebody in that movie there's uh, oh my gosh. i mean this is i think that movie was like you know from the 50s it was a long time ago. no no i don't know why. i caught but it, it long
0: actually in a motel room a year ago
1: <laughs> it was on very appropriate very oh my appropriate. gosh um so i'm sorry so what was the question about Leopard yeah the work that you, the work that you did for it you know oh, okay well it was everything but the leprechaun but... <laughs> okay. other, other than what gabe did with warwick um and they were kind of on their own little corner in their own trailer and having a lot of fun and uh we were you know just making our stuff that was shot in uh uh, San Fernando Valley of L.A., back when we had our L.A. shot. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I would have to see it again to see what the hell we did on it, but I know there's a lot of makeup mix gags. guys.
0: <laughs> Those horror films, man. <laughs>
1: you know, at that time, we were making a lot of that. I think that was like a Trimark film. I don't even know yeah, what Trimark Yeah, I think that's film. right. <laughs> but, you know, they, they were a lot of – it was just that kind of time where we were making a lot of these low-to-medium-low-budget mm-hmm. films and just pumping them out for – I guess, video, because some yeah. of that stuff doesn't get screened. Yeah. So, um, so like, yeah, like Tremors a 10 question. now, or, you know. Yeah, like exactly. Just keep on rolling. I, I love that there's still fans of Leprechaun 2. Uh, that Absolutely. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, so cool.
0: I am interested in your an- – two more. I'm, I'm interested in your answer for this one. I think this is fascinating. Jeff, Jet Eisen wants to know, um, has your knowledge of prosthetics to rig up, you know, a hand, a foot, arm you – know, th- Ever been applied have you ever been consulted for actual people, for like
1: amputees, uh military personnel? Can't talk about that. Um, but yeah, we have done amputee stuff. Um, we've done quite a bit of like subtle little prosthetics. Some of our crew actually did one not too long ago. I think it was an ear on somebody. For an actual human being. Yeah, 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 sure. And I've I've done, you know, I used to do a lot of disguises for uh like I I did Michael Jackson disguises for a while. So you could walk around in the world. Um, I wouldn't even you know, think about that. Like that. Yeah. Michael had, well, he was having every makeup artist in town do stuff. Yeah. And yeah. I was working with him with Steve Johnson during uh, smooth criminal. Okay. And at one point, Michael asked us if we could do disguise makeups for him. So he could go to his brother's concert or go to the grocery store. And Michael had an entire arsenal of costumes in his, in one of his closets. He had like a fat suit, he had like a uh some gloves. I mean just like an amazing assortment of stuff that you know Rick Baker made or Stan Winston wow. made. And uh, so we started doing some of that stuff. Um and we've done a uh, you know, a lot of other stuff that's outside cinema and television. Um so yes. I don't know, if wow. I answer that question? That's yes, that's fascinating. Yeah,
0: you know, the, yeah. Absolutely. The medical advances that are coming now for especially for uh uh for military personnel who have lost, you know, um, the parts, you know, things like that, to, to give them yeah. a greater mobility in homes and everything yeah, it's else amazing. is just extraordinary. Uh, Boston
1: Dynamics and all the robotics. Correct. Yeah.
0: Been- Spot and everything else. That's you want to talk about some some double edged sword right there. That's right. Yeah. It's Terminator 12. Exactly. <laughs> Final question for you. Kronos Chiron. What advice would you give to uh, novice indie filmmakers
1: who are wanting a crack at this space um my advice i mean i don't know what point you are in your career or amateur development or whatever point you're at um uh but kind of my advice is sort of i guess the same um i like five-year plans i I like to make a plan Mm -hmm. and i usually do them within five years and i just kind of i literally write it out i sketch out where I think I'm going to be or where I want to be. And I just, just try to sort of plot it out. You're, you're always going to be wrong, and no matter what you do. If you, if you write to you know to, tomorrow's plan today, it's not going to be completely perfect. Right. And so if you do like five years, you're definitely going to be wrong. But the idea isn't to be accurate. It's the idea is to plan. And so it's essentially goal-making, if you've ever taken a goal-making workshop or something like that. So what you want to do is, figure out, you know, where you want to be in five years. And, and sometimes it's really hard for people to do that. So mm-hmm. what I recommend is to do the exact opposite. Figure out where you don't want to be in five years. Figure out that you don't want to be working at the insurance company in five years, or you don't want to be in a dead-end job or in a dead-end life if, if you don't. You know, really try to think this through. Figure out You know, if you are, if you do have a desire to make films or makeup effects or any part of this craziness, or even just be an artist or a writer, um, make yourself a set of goals and achieve them. And I like to write it, like physically write it down and have it remind me where I should be. It's almost like charting when you're sailing a ship to a location, there's many little points along the way where you might have to adjust, you might have to adjust, you know, but eventually the goal is sort of the same. And come up with a methodology for yourself um, to achieve your goals, to to make your life happen. Because, you know, life goes by like that. Yeah. And if you don't do this, um, life will just drag you along. Um, So if you do want to make movies, if you do want to do any of this stuff, uh, just do it. Just freaking do it. Um, But come up with a game plan. Uh, Try to figure it out in a time period. I like five years, Uh but you can certainly plan out this month. You can certainly plan out 10 years, whatever you want, but figure it out and don't make any excuses. You're in charge of your own life and just freaking do it. Um, Obviously, it's a lot more complicated than that. But it has Um, to start with that. You you kind of need uh, you can't let anybody else kick you in the pants. You need to kick your own pants. And <laughs> the best way to do that is goals. Yeah. And and like I say, uh, my favorite way of trying to determine goals is to try to determine the non, the anti-goals. You know, I don't want to be pregnant. I don't want to, you know, have a shitty car. I don't <laughs> want to live in a shitty part of town. You know, whatever it is, if you don't plan for what's around the corner, it's going to hit you in the ass. uh uh-huh.
0: Yeah, if you want to be reactionary in your life or, or proactive. And that can
1: be said for anyone
0: in, uh, looking to, to advance in the industry or not, just in life. In I cannot recommend a five-year plan enough. A and the more granular your, your steps along the way, the more realistic it, it will be. The, yeah, just as long as you're
1: not going to damage yourself with it. I mean, you just right. have to keep in mind every step of the way, this is to be revised. None yeah. of this is real. This is just a game plan that's most likely wrong. You have to just kind of keep updating, like you know that ship that's going along, or an airplane, you know, that's going from point A to point Z. There's a bunch of little adjustments because a storm cloud came along, or Mm -hmm. shark, or whatever. Yeah, things happen. It will come. You know, it will happen. So prepare. I mean, just like winter, you know, storms come all the time. This is true.
0: One of my producers asked me a last-minute question. Um, One of my students recently lost a leg in an accident. And his family is very poor. Does Todd know of an organization that helps people who need prosthetics or anything along those lines that you can advise?
1: I don't offhand. Okay. Um, I know that I, on Instagram, I follow um, hashtag prosthetic. And I know that a ton of that is medical prosthetics. Okay. I would start, you know, networking like that. Um, you know, here's a great example. Your goal is to get a prosthetic. Here, Correct. Here. What, are the, what are the points between here and there that have to be achieved? And so to me, it sounds like making contact with a variety of different prosthetic, you know, service companies. I don't do those kind of prosthetics. I don't do medical prosthetics, like legs and stuff like that. Um, so I would, I would first look into that. I knew a guy that worked at a VA hospital in San Francisco years ago. that used to make the, the greatest eyeballs for me. Wow. Um, but there are places throughout, you know, I don't know where this person is, but yeah. throughout the States, throughout Canada. Uh, that have, uh, you, know, prosthetic abil- you know, prosthetic materials and ways to make them. Um, and I would reach out to them and see if there's some way to do it.
0: Perfect. Todd, this has been terrific and fascinating and nuanced all of the above. I really appreciate you coming on and cool. uh, sharing your stories.
1: Well, I'm glad that we we got the right time zone. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was so afraid I missed it. I'm like, no, oh it's, my God, man. there's something it's wrong so with funny. Google
0: in Arizona because we're half half of the <laughs> year we're in one time zone, the other half we're in another. Uy, but I'm glad we made it work.
1: Yeah, me too. So very nice talking with you, and uh, hopefully everybody listening got something out of it.
0: I I do appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time. You Make take easy. care of yourself. Bye bye now, Make it easy. Todd Masters of Masters Effects makeups, and prosthetics maestro? You're listening and watching, or both, or not. Well, one or the other, to dial the gates. <laughs> We've got, I've got, I think, one question for me here. Kicks 394. Is there a process or routine that you go through when you prepare for an interview? It depends on who it is. Uh, so basic, uh, primarily, especially with this show, the intent from day one was to be a legacy archive for the franchise. And with each episode, I wanted to cover a certain piece. Initially, for the the first episodes that everyone appears in, it's much of a broader introduction in the event that we don't get them back. Some of them, you know, it's definitely designed to be a one-off. Um, unless something else comes along again That's that's has, you know... Uh, additional uh reason for them to return you know but sometimes one episode really really covers it really says it all so i try to i try to hit um at least 35 40 of the show about them and you know 60 65 of the show about their relationship with stargate specifically suanne braun her hathor hosts show she spends a week or two researching um the individual that she's going to have on I, I I do very little of that because it's a Stargate related show, and I, all that information, ninety percent of it, is in my brain already, and I just need to go to uh, internet resources to make sure that my information, what I'm thinking of, is correct, is still correct, and anything that I've you know potentially missed. Uh, I think that that generally strikes a pretty good balance because, you know, it's these these episodes, something like Hathor Host is much more about the person that she has on, whereas like with Dial the Gate, it's the relationship of that person with Stargate. Uh, So the 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 answer is you know largely uh i i don't even prepare a lot of the questions in advance a lot of the times particularly if it's someone that i have never spoken with before i will ask them if they want questions in advance and oftentimes the actors say no i like with christopher judge he n- never give that man a question in advance he do, he doesn't want it he likes he he likes being surprised and he likes being put in a corner that he has to work himself out of. That's just who he is as a person. Uh, one of these days, we will have him on. <laughs> so, um, but we're working on that. So, yeah, that's 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 pretty much the answer to the question. Technically, on my side, I have to build up all of the, uh, the, the title and end cards. Uh, I have to promote the show with uh, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. That usually, you know that process usually takes a couple of hours every single week. This scheduling is a bitch. It's it that that is a tough one because, you know, you you may get I may send out 10 invites, 5 of which will respond and 4 of which will be a yes, 3 of which will be a yes. Somewhere around there. So, uh there there's a lot that that goes into the work, but it, into the the process of preparing to have them on. Speaking of, uh we have uh, next week we do have I do have interviews that are in the works. I'm a little behind right now in terms of scheduling, but I, I'm pretty sure I have two scheduled for next weekend. Uh, I do have a Stargate Universe cast member who has agreed to come on, someone I have not actually interviewed with, sat down and interviewed since before the show actually aired. So I'm really looking forward to speaking with him again. And then someone else who uh, is is no stranger to Unas and super Soldier makeup and is someone that may hold the, 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 the what am I trying to say, the, the record. In fact, I'm pretty sure holds the record for the most appearances in Stargate in terms of the different characters that he's played, if you can figure out who that is. But he's basically said yes as well. And until we get a—I've uh, I've got— um, need to sit down and and organize those times but those are going to be coming up rachel luttrell has also agreed to to a second appearance i'm trying to reach out to paul mcgillian right now to to bring him back as well so those are the things that are really in the popper right now and really are happening we have t-shirts Dial the Gate is brought to you every week for free, and we do appreciate you watching. But if you want to support the show further, buy yourself some of our themed swag. We're now offering T-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, and hoodies for all ages in a variety of sizes and colors at Redbubble. Check out is fast and easy, and you can even use your Amazon or PayPal account. Just visit dialthegate.redbubble.com, and thank you for your support. That's all we've got this week. Next weekend, uh, keep an eye on dialthegate.com for those schedules to be posted, and we'll keep that moving. My thanks to Tracy, Keith, Jeremy, Reese, Anthony, Summer, uh, Linda, Gategabber, Fury, Jennifer Kirby. These are the people who are responsible for making this show come to life. Could not do it without them. My name is David Reed. For Dial the Gate, I appreciate you tuning in. Next week, uh, we will be seeing well. We'll be seeing you again. I'll get the schedule posted on dialthegate.com. We'll get the uh, the live segments ready to go on youtube.com/dialthegate, and we'll see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner, co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acrey. Animations by Bryce Ores. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith Homel, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M, and Anthony Rowling. Logo design by Deborah J Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes at dialthegate.com.